0: Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. But we have been in the series in a series of messages on the subject of healing. It's been for a number of weeks now. And every time I think that we've just about uh, wrapped it up, I'm flooded with a host of ideas and principles and even arguments that we haven't covered. So here we go again. uh, And listen, just so you know, I know there's more to the Christian life than healing. I know there are struggles some of you are facing uh, besides sickness. But I want you to keep a couple of things in mind as we continue with this. Uh, One is... This is an important topic, healing is a a super important topic because sickness touches us in so many other aspects of our lives. We can talk about financial difficulties. Well, how many of you know uh, sickness, particularly uh, sicknesses that require hospitalization and surgery, extended illnesses, absolutely affect our finances? I mean, people can literally go broke in a matter of days, weeks or months Because of sickness. Uh, If we're called to do. It affects us energy wise. It affects our ability to go places. And do things. um, Because it just. We live in these physical bodies. And the things that God calls us to do. Require physical action. And if sickness has uh, laid us up. Has crippled us in any way. uh, We may not be able to do. Right now everything God has called us to do. Uh, The other thing is. And this is kind of where we started, or we've certainly talked about it uh, since we started, is that healing was a huge part of the earthly ministry of Jesus. So it's something that is worth paying attention to. It's not something, well, we found one or two places in the New Testament where Jesus healed somebody, so let's spend eight weeks talking about it. This is something Jesus did all the time, everywhere he went. Yeah, he did other miracles. And yes, miracles are only part of what he did. In those three or three and a half years. But his earthly ministry was characterized by three things. And you know what they are. Preaching, teaching, and healing. These are the things he did everywhere he went. In the early chapters of Matthew, uh, the very early chapters, we read about the genealogy and the birth of Jesus. We read about his baptism. We read the temptation in the the wilderness and the calling of his first disciples. And then we read in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, Matthew 4.23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. What was he doing? Teaching, preaching, and healing. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people Who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now, I was only going to read that first verse to show you how Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing everywhere he went, but I read on for a few chapters not just a few verses I read, and I had to address this stuff first because it is so, so important. Oh, my goodness, I'm already thinking this is going to go another week or two. <laughs> but let me start here. I was listening to a sermon on the radio the other day. I usually have my radio on Great News Radio, uh, which is a Moody station, and so uh, there's, there's not a lot of what or any of what I would call word of faith teaching, but there's some good teaching, some good sermons on there. And, this, and at uh, this particular time of day... Uh, a guy was talking about, uh, he was preaching out of Acts chapter 8, and he was talking about Simon the sorcerer. Okay, How many of you kind of know who I'm talking about here? All right. He, uh, Philip, the evangelist, not Philip the apostle, but Philip, one of the ones who was chosen to, to serve, went to Samaria and started preaching the gospel. And while he was there, he performed miracles of healing. And Simon was a magician, a sorcerer who used to draw crowds with his sorceries. We're not told. I can't see what specific signs he was performing, what miracles he did. But the crowds considered him, the people considered him to be the great power of God. Says they were astonished by his sorceries, whatever they were. But he, Simon himself, came to believe in Christ under Philip's preaching. He was baptized along with many other Men and women. And he was amazed at the miracles and signs that Philip did. So the crowds were amazed and astonished at what Simon did. Simon was amazed and astonished at what Philip did. uh, And he came to believe and was baptized. It goes on to say that Peter and John were dispatched to Samaria to lay hands on the believers there so that they could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when Simon observed this, he was amazed and he said, he offered him money. He said, give me this power so that whoever I lay my hands on, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. And he got rebuked for that. And there's a lot of good stuff in that passage. We, always, we often turn to that passage when we are making the case that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that is separate from salvation because clearly Philip and all these men and women were baptized into belief in Jesus Christ before Peter and John got there to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Simon was already a believing Christian uh, when he saw Peter and John laying hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I mention it only because the sermon I was listening to, the speaker was making two main points. And one was this, that Simon was performing some kind of miracle or miracles some signs, and we have to remember something. Demons are as real as angels, okay? There is a spiritual world, and there are dark powers that surround us. They are not equal and opposite of God. The devil is not God's equal. The demons are no match for angels. But And, and, and the, the, everything about the, the power they wield and operate in our lives, uh, They don't have the authority to do that. So they have to operate deceptively. But they really do exist. Uh, So what these signs look like, I don't know. But the point is that signs and wonders can be real and not from God. Now, it could be that Simon was a talented illusionist. Okay? Okay that he was able to make people believe in these things. And just like if you were a a professional magician could go sit in the crowd and watch somebody else's magic show, and I know how they did that. I know how they did that because I'm one of these too. And then when uh, Philip shows up on the scene, he's amazed because this is something real. I can tell the fake from the real, and this guy is real, so he immediately follows him. But I think the Bible is indicating pretty clearly that whatever sorcery Simon was performing, they were real. They just weren't of God. So point one, again, is signs and wonders can be real even if they're not from from God. The second point is, how do we tell the difference? If we are looking, if we are observing, witnessing a sign, a wonder, a miracle, how can we tell if it's a true sign of the presence of God, if it's from God? And the answer is, what does it draw or who does it draw attention to? In Simon's case, very clearly tells us that his sorceries were drawing attention to himself. And in Philip's case, these signs and wonders were drawing attention to Jesus and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So far, so good. I agree with all of this. But the conclusion then was that the purpose of the miracle was primarily or even solely to gather the crowd and authenticate the preacher so that the gospel would be not just heard but believed. Do these signs, do these wonders, perform these healings, and then people will come, and then once they're there and they've seen these signs and wonders, number one, they're there to hear whatever it is you have to say. Number two, they're going to believe you because of what you just did. Putting it crudely, it could go like this. I have a message for you. Well, why should we listen to you? Well, watch this. Kerpow, Miracle, healing, whatever. Okay, you have our attention and our respect, so say on. Now, I won't deny that the miracles of Jesus and the miracles that others actually worked like that in some fashion. The problem I have is where so many preachers, teachers, and everyday believers generally take it from there, which is to say, essentially, that once people believe miracles, for the purposes of our discussion today, healing, have served their purpose and are no longer necessary. For Jesus, it was simply proof of his messiahship. For the apostles, it was proof of their apostolic authority. say, well, what what about what James wrote? James said, you know, if any among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Well, okay, It it was for the apostolic age. Well, until when? Well, until the Bible was complete. Once we had the canon of Scripture established, and we we have something to measure all truth by, by the time you get to that point in the argument, you have departed completely from what Scripture has to say on the subject. You're following a certain kind of logic, but there is nothing in the Bible that says that. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when it talks about when these things will cease, and it's very clearly when we are face-to-face with Jesus. The Bible doesn't suggest for a second that the gifts, including healing... Uh, are, are only necessary until the Bible is written until again until we had the canon closed it Says these things will pass But how long do we need healing? I'll tell you how long we, we need healing as long as there's sickness in the world There ain't sickness in heaven so gifts of healings will pass right First of all, just look at what happened right here in Acts chapter 8. It says in verse 13 that Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. He witnessed miracles after he believed. Jesus himself, remember, said, These signs will follow those who believe. What's the pattern that Jesus is talking about? The signs follow belief. Not the other way around. It's not, oh, people will believe because of the signs. People will see the signs because of their belief. We've already looked at what Jesus did and what Jesus said in so many cases. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Only believe. All things are possible to him who believes. Be it done according to your faith. Your faith has made you whole. He in many, many cases, required belief as a prerequisite. Look, I maintain that the very act of bringing the multitudes of sick people to Jesus was an expression of something they already believed. Coming to Jesus for healing or dragging somebody else to Jesus for healing was an act of faith because they believed he would heal. Going back to our... um, let me say this first. The miracles weren't there to produce belief. The belief that was there produced an atmosphere for miracles. You go back to the bridge illustration that I shared with you last week. The thing that they were believing was real. It was true. The bridge between their sickness and their healing was Jesus Christ himself. His power and his willingness to heal. Faith is what caused them to cross that bridge and come to him and receive their healing. Now, this is demonstrated even more forcefully by two passages of scripture that I want to share with you now. The first one is Matthew chapter 16. And, praise and worship team, you can come on up here. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I said it was going to be short, it's not that short. Somebody got excited. And the Pharisees, and where did I say I was? Matthew 16, beginning in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested him. And testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now when they came to him, Jesus had already performed a ton of miracles, especially healing miracles. The previous chapter, right before we read what we just read, it includes the healing of the Canaanite woman's daughter. It includes the healing of the multitudes. It includes the feeding of the 4,000. The Pharisees and Sadducees could not possibly have been unaware of this. Certainly they had heard of his miracles. Probably they had witnessed some. At least it's likely. But they put the request to him directly and honestly. Look, once and for all, if you are who you say you are, do something. Show us a sign. Do a miracle. Prove it. This is what they came to him with. And my question, before I read Jesus' answer, is, well, why not? Why not just do it? Why not show them once and for all? You win the religious authorities over, and look how much easier your job suddenly gets, Jesus. But Jesus says something really amazing here, and we need to see what's at the heart of it. First of all, he tells them, basically, uh, that they already have the information they need to decide if they're going to acknowledge him. Oh my, I mean, Jesus wasn't stingy with his miracles, was he? And he wasn't healing people in secret, was he? There's two truths here. You know, something we've already kind of looked at when it comes to healing, this argument that, well, come on, if healing's for today, why don't we just go into the hospitals? Why don't we just go find all the sick people and heal them? And what's our answer? Jesus didn't do that. Even when he healed the multitudes, he didn't go out there and say, bring out ye sick, bring out ye sick. And you Monty Python fans will kind of get that reference. No, but he healed people and word spread that he healed people and so when he went to the next place they're like that guy that we heard healed all those people over there he's here now come on let's go see him and so they came to him. But what happened when they came to them? Came to him. He healed them. Several of them. Most of them. All of them. So on one hand, he wasn't going out there saying, come and witness my healing ministry. I want to show you something. I want to prove something to you. But on the other hand, he wasn't saying, come over here, i got to heal you, but I don't want anybody else to see it. It was very public ministry. So it was very disingenuous of, of of these Sadducees and Pharisees to say, all right, now show us something. If you show us something, we'll believe. They weren't going to believe no matter what. He was... He had built up a reputation already. He was drawing crowds, building this reputation as a healer that was so well-known that even Gentiles were approaching him. But in this case, he refused. And I would say the first reason is that even if he had done a sign, it would have made no difference to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They'd already made up their minds not to believe. You know, we established earlier that people like Simon the Sorcerer were capable of performing miracles, And so if Jesus had performed a miracle, if he'd shown them a sign, what would they have done? They would have simply attributed it to sorcery or demonic activity. Do I really think they would do that? They did it! Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him. So that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. They didn't argue whether this sign, this miracle had taken place. They said, well, it's demonic power. It doesn't prove anything. So do you see again how dishonest it was? to say, Well, just show us a sign. If he'd shown them a sign, they would say, well, you're doing that demonically. They, did not, they were disinclined to believe before they asked that. People say that today. I would believe it. You show me video evidence. You show me a doctor's report. And then, then I'll believe. No, they'll find some other way to explain it away. If they are disinclined to believe in the first place. My other answer to the whole, why didn't he just do a sign for them, is the more important one at least to me, especially as it concerns healing. And it's simply this. He's saying, that is not why I do this. You're asking me to do something to prove who I am. That's not why I heal people. I'm not out here doing magic tricks to prove anything or to gain fame, to gain a reputation. I heal because I have compassion on the sick. I heal because I came to redeem mankind from the curse of the law. Which brings me to the second passage I want to share. And that's in John, Gospel of John, chapter 14. This is the scene, this this last uh, uh, time that he gets to spend, the the last supper and the washing of the feet, this time he's spending with his disciples, preparing them for his departure, his crucifixion. And in John chapter 14, uh, we'll begin in verse 7. Where he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip, the apostle, the disciple, said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. This is an exciting moment. Jesus just said, from now on, you see the father. And Philip's like, oh, just show him to us and that's enough. Just like Moses said, show me your glory. believe me for the sake of the works themselves this is so important because it says so much about the character of God and his will to heal Jesus is emphasizing that central to his mission including his earthly ministry is to demonstrate and to reveal God the Father you know you want to know what God looks like acts like talks like look at me follow me listen to me You want to know how God responds to sin? Look at me, says Jesus. You want to know how God the Father responds to demonic power and possession? Watch me and watch how I deal with it. You want to know how God the Father responds to sickness? Look at my healing ministry. Because there's nothing I do that is any different from what God the Father does. His response is my response. His will in heaven is being done on earth. There is nothing that is going to mislead people or contradict God. If I show you something, it's something that God himself wants you to see about him. This is what's so beautiful and crucial about the healing of the multitudes and the phrase he healed them all. Jesus wasn't out there looking for an opportunity to prove anything. He was out there demonstrating the love, the power, and the will of God the Father. It goes to the very character of God and goes back to our first message in this series where God identifies himself as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. Now that last phrase he says up there, or else believe in me for the sake of the works themselves, strikes me almost as a concession in the broader context of this conversation. Look, guys, I've been with you for three years. And after all you've seen and heard, after all I have invested in you, surely you understand that there's nothing I say, nothing I do, that doesn't clearly show you who God the Father is. You should, by this time, understand that the words I'm saying and the works I'm doing are the words and works of God the Father himself, but at least believe me on account of the works you've seen me do. Once we grasp this, remember, even, even elsewhere, Jesus said that the works he did were the works he saw his Father in heaven doing. Once we grasp that healing is not a, a, a spectacle, it's not even merely a, an apologetic. I've heard that said by one of my favorite speakers that said that the, the whole place of the miracle in the Old and New Testament is as an apologetic. It's not true. It does serve that purpose. It does serve as proof, but that's not the main role of the miracle. Uh, it's, the, it's a revelation of the very character of God, of His will, the idea that healing goes away uh, once belief is established. this is nuts. I'll show you. The mir- <laughs> this idea that the miracle has served its purpose, once people confess Christ. This idea becomes offensive. To me, because it looks like the old bait and switch. Come, see the power of God. Healings are happening, so come here and see the man through whom they are happening. So people come to Jesus. They come to him in need of healing. They come to him bringing their loved ones who are in need of healing. And they receive healing. And they hear the gospel, and they believe, praise God, and then later they need healing, and Jesus says, oh no, you don't understand. That was just to get you to believe in me. You don't need it anymore. Or at least you don't get it anymore. Does this make any sense at all? God is not going to do something, he's not going to do anything that is outside his essential character, his nature, his will, in order to convince you to surrender your life to him. He draws you to himself, draws us to himself, with his divine attributes and expressions of his redemptive love. The things he draws us with are not something he shows us and then hides from us once we come to him. And I'm talking about uh, healing, deliverance, protection, provision, All these attributes and expressions absolutely continue for those of us who are in Christ I got a couple more things to say but praise and worship team you really can come up here now just kidding sit down no I'm kidding come on up (laughs) I want to let that sink in for a second though why would God draw people why would Jesus draw people to himself and to the Father with healing or provision in the case of the feeding of the 5,000 then say, ah, now that you're here, now that you believe in me, no more miracles, no more healing, no more supernatural provision because he's not doing that. It's not just a look at this. It's a look who I am. Look who the Father is. Look what I do. Look what he does. These are all tied together. He doesn't change. Next week, Maybe try to wrap this series up next week. We're going to look at how God has promised these things, healing, deliverance, provision, protection, in order to make us effective, not necessarily to make our life easy. This is a tough one for some people. And I'm not going to draw a line between generations. I'm not going to diss a whole generation of people because there are people across generations who felt differently about this. But let's just say there are a number of people, you know them and I know them, who say life is not pleasant unless life is easy. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have lived long enough and lived through enough to say life can be tough and pleasant at the same time? Jesus never promised us an easy life. But he promised us victory. He promised us healing. He promised us provision. He promised us an abundant life. Just didn't say it would be easy. All the things that we stand, and this is where a lot of us miss it. We believe that, hey, man, if I'm, uh, this, uh, there, there's a song we used to sing that I never really, I'll just be real honest, it never set right with me. And it was that Eagle's Wings song. Where, and there was a line, uh, and now I fly on eagle's wings. I'm soaring above everything that the devil had in store for me. Uh, flying through life, reigning like a king. Now, do we, do we reign as kings and priests? Yeah, we should. We've got authority and all this stuff. But this soaring above everything. The, I guess the, the sense of this song was, nothing bad ever happens to me as long as I'm in faith. As long as I'm believing God and in his will and confessing. And that's really not the message of Jesus. He promised us tough times. He promised us trouble. That's not soaring above everything. All right? You will have trouble, but it'll all be down there. You're going to be sailing above it. No, you're going to be right in the thick of it. But he promises us victory. Victory. In everything. And it kind of goes back to something I said earlier on this. I I don't think it's reasonable to expect that sickness will never touch us. But healing is always God's will. And again, healing is important because sickness robs us of so much. These are things we're going to look at next week. We are going to look, hopefully next week, at what we can do to keep our healing once we've received it. Or, tied to that, what do we do? If we know we have been healed, we've been manifestly healed, and sickness returns, we're going to be looking at the very concept of victory. How we win it, how we keep it. You don't want to miss next week. Meanwhile, stand up for this part. There is something more important, obviously, than physical healing. All of us need to be reconciled to God. Healing, protection, provision, deliverance, all of these things, all of those promises are ours if we are in Christ. But if we are not in Christ, we are in the world. And this world is characterized by what? Because of sin. Sickness. Poverty, danger, loss, captivity, bondage. That's where we're at if we're not in Christ. And Christ offers us freedom and deliverance and release from all of the curse of the law. And here's where people get a little messed up, I think. And I'm speaking now to the unbeliever, if there are any in here. If you know an unbeliever, share this with them. Because there are some who have heard the gospel and even understood the gospel. And, and, and then it breaks down into a couple or three different categories. One of them we've talked about many times is, uh, I don't deserve salvation. Well, we know. Everybody in here ought to know by now that's not why we get saved. None of us deserve salvation. If we deserved it, Jesus didn't need to die for us. He died precisely because there's nothing we could do to deserve it. But there are some who will recognize that and what they're actually thinking is, I'm not ready to be good enough to follow Christ. I know I need salvation and that means making him my Lord, following him. I'm not ready to do that. I'm not good enough, and I'm not ready to be good enough. Do you understand? That's kind of like saying, I know I'm sick, and I need to be made well, but I'm not well enough to go to the doctor yet. I'm just not well enough to take this medicine yet. You need the medicine, you need the doctor because you're sick. You need salvation because you're not good enough. And you will never be good enough. You'll never feel ready to be good enough until you just give up, surrender to Jesus Christ. You say, What? He's got, but I don't even want to be that good right now. If you recognize your need and you are desperate enough for salvation, God will meet you there because it is Him who is at work within us both to will. And to work for his good pleasure. He will actually change your desires. You don't have to be good enough because Jesus was good enough. All you got to be is in him. If you desire to be in Christ this morning, it's your day. It's your day whether you think you desire it or not. Just give up. Surrender. I love that word surrender. That's not something I want, but I give up. I can't fight it. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. I'm going to go ahead and lay hands on the sick again, too. And I'm going to do it quickly like we did last week. And I want to remind you of this. Uh, This makes sense in a healing series that we would have a healing line. And I appreciate that when you come up here, every week it should be full of more faith. You should be more faith-filled. There should be a stronger expectation of the manifestation of the healing power of God in your life because of everything you're learning week by week, right? Right? But even if the message isn't on healing, and even if we don't carve out a section of the meeting to have a healing line every week, it's announced there'll be people up here to pray with you. If there's sickness in your body or any other need, you ought to come up here with the same faith to receive that healing. Because it's always God's will, the promise is always there, the prayer is always available. But for now, today, as soon as we start, I'm going to pray, we're going to sing a song. As soon as they start singing, if you desire to be saved you front and center. This is your section of the line to stand in. If you, want, if you need a manifestation of healing in your body, come up here. Let me pray with you. I'm just going to lay my hands on you and say, receive your healing. And you're going to say, thank you, God, for my healing. And we're going to develop that a little bit more next week. Uh, Pastor Mike. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.